The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Thank you, Miss Paula. Let's pray, church. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would be at work this morning, that you would be our teacher. Not, not only that we learn new things, but that we change our ways to grow into greater likeness to Jesus. Father, I pray that if there be any in this room who are playing with sin, that you would shock them into reality, that you would convict them, and that you would restore them in righteousness. Father, we confess we we are nothing, and we have nothing apart from you. We say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And so we pray, come now. Fill us, meet with us, change us. For Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. How, how many of you have ever fallen in love? I know I have, thankfully to my now wife of eight years, George and Rita, just, uh, they just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, so praise God for that. But, uh, so, but when you are in love, what happens? You do irrational things, right? You do things that you otherwise would not do because your love for that person, it has a sway, an influence, a control per se over your life. Well, this morning, we're not going to talk about being in love with someone. We're going to talk about what it means, though, to be filled, to be influenced, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and how he should have absolute sway over every aspect of our lives. So really this morning, this is a part three of a sermon series. Well, part three of a mini sermon series of our time through Ephesians. Uh, but this is that we have looked at what it means to walk in wisdom. We, we have looked, we looked last week what it means to know and to do the will of God. And then this week, though, we're, go, we're going to find the key to the entirety of the Christian life. How do I lead a, an effective, a vibrant, and a flourishing Christian life? Well, the key is found in our passage this morning, and that is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me read. I'll just read verse 18. That will be our first point. Um, uh, it will be based on verse 18. So let me read that for us as a refresher. And if you have God's word, I encourage you to open it up. If you have a phone that, that has an app with God's word on it, I encourage you to pull it out. Because we're going to look at his word this morning. Verse 18, it says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so as I go through about my study, I'm always asking questions. My first question is, why does Paul contrast being filled with the Spirit 
with being drunk with wine. Why, why did he choose that? Well, it, I think it's because the effects of alcohol are such that it leads you away from your present state of consciousness and into an altered state of reality. It, it, it literally takes control over your faculties. And so I think what Paul is saying is this. Do not be led by, away by anything in this world, but instead be led by the Holy Spirit. Church, listen, the reality is, is that you are controlled in your days, in your life by something, either by your flesh, by things in the world, or you are being controlled by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, Paul is referring to that specific practice here of drunkenness, not to allow yourself to be controlled by another substance. That detaches you from reality. But even more important to note, I think, is that Paul is using drunkenness as an example of a deeper issue. And that is when a person runs to the bottle, what they are really doing is they are rejecting and forsaking the only one who can bring true comfort to their soul. That, that's the deeper issue at play. And so one reason why drunkenness is such a grievous sin before the Lord is because drunkenness, it's a blatant and a blasphemous display of unbelief in the person and in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, what Paul is saying here is this something to this effect. Don't let the idolatries of this world to don't run to them to try to escape And find relief and comfort from the difficulties of life. Instead, go to the helper. Go to the one who can give true comfort, true peace. Don't don't fill your soul and don't let your spirit be controlled by the idolatries of the world. Rather, be filled with the presence of God. The God of the universe throughout your days. And so I'm not just picking on one specific temptation or sin or addiction. I want to open this up to the field. Uh, I'm an uh, uh, equal opportunist, equal opportunity, uh, whatever, uh, this morning. (laughs) Never go on, stick to the manuscript, right? So, uh, and so question, question, what is your preferred object of escapism? (laughs) What, what, What do you run to, to try and find relief from the anxieties and the stresses and the difficulties of life. For some of you, it may be alcohol. For others, it may be pornography, right? Where these two things, they, they try to de- you try to use them to detach yourself from your present reality. Or maybe, maybe you try to escape through binge eating or gluttony. You, you try to supplant and displace the stresses of life with the immediate pleasure that food can give. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe that's not you, but maybe you struggle with binge watching. You run to entertainment to transport you to an alternate reality, thereby numbing you to your own state. Again, others, maybe you fill your mind and your days with a constant onslaught of news Right? And, and therefore, you're trying to comfort yourself by implicitly comparing your own life to the life of others. Or, or maybe you're of this type. And I know this is my own temptation. 
This is where I'm tempted with, where you just try to stay busy. If you keep moving, if you keep doing, if you don't stop, if you stay productive, then you don't have time. You don't have the downtime where you, you're able to suppress and ignore those feelings deep within. What, what, what is your object of escapism? What, what are you tempted by the most to give yourself to to try to find comfort or relief in life? Or maybe, maybe to be a bit more direct and more pointed, what, what, what is your object of idolatry? Remember, idolatry, it is something that is a good thing, but where we attach God-like weight, meaning, importance, and value in life. Idolatry is when we take a good thing and make it a God thing in our life. And so what Paul is telling us this morning is this. Don't fill yourself with the idolatries of this world that can never satisfy don't give yourself over to the grievous sin of unbelief in the person, the presence, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Rather, fill yourself with the only one who can extinguish your deepest anxieties and fears. And fill yourself with the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. In, in a word, maybe in a sentence, I think God through Paul is telling us this morning in verse 18. Be filled with the substance, not with the substitutes. And so if we are commanded, then, if we are told to be filled with the Spirit, maybe it's helpful to ask the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, right? You don't, you don't want to just have a command without an understanding of what that command entails. And unfortunately, I think within the church, this simple command has caused a lot of consternation Today, as we think about what is the work of the Holy Spirit in our world today. On one side of the spectrum, there are some genuine Christians today who have become what I term, and what I shouldn't say, it's not original to me, what I heard someone term as functional secularists. I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. What, what that means is that these people have become skeptical of anything that is described as the Holy Spirit's present work in our world today. That is other than his work of regeneration. And so whether they know it or not, these groups of these group of Christians, they have become influenced by what's called the Enlightenment. Right. The 18th century where reason and logic dominates every sphere of life. And therefore, this region, this reason and this logic, it's become to suffocate any potential for the supernatural in their lives. And so that's one side, right? You have the functional secularists who kind of dismiss, ignore, or even reject the Holy Spirit's present work today. But then on the other side of the spectrum, there are Christians, genuine Christians, and entire denominations who prize themselves on experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They would say that the filling of the Spirit, or maybe what oftentimes is referred to as a baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's this experience that happens in someone's life where afterward an outward and an otherworldly demonstration takes place. Maybe such as speaking in tongues, prophecies, anointings, divine healings, or other demonstrative acts. So they would say that the work of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is this highly sensational work. So you have the functional secularists 
who, who, who in effect say the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased. And then you have the group who said the work of the Holy Spirit is still is active today and it's highly sensational. There, there, there's a I question whether to say this or not, but I think it's helpful in trying to paint, paint the landscape. There, there's a mega church in California where they, they do what's called they call a, a they do a practice called the fire tunnel. And in summary, what this what happens in this fire, fire tunnel ritual is that people who are deemed more mature in the faith, they form two lines. Remember, like think of it like uh, when you're in school, right? And you you do the you know the do the pyramid, right? And you create a human tunnel, and and uh, and then and then the spiritually immature. So the mature make the human tunnel, and then the spiritually immature they are made to run through this, and the mature then lay hands on them, and they they are said to transfer into them the same anointing that they supposedly carry. And so when this happens at this megachurch, it's very common to see people display strange physical manifestations during these events, such as the appearance of being drunk, laughing hysterically, what others term being slain in the spirit, or other, other, otherworldly, seemingly otherworldly things. Is this what it means to be filled with the spirit? Well, just as an aside... Biblically speaking, being slain in the spirit is not really seen as a good thing. As the only biblical evidence and precedent for someone being slain in the spirit was in Acts chapter 5. And that didn't turn out so well for Ananias and Sapphira. So I would say it's probably not a good thing to be slain in the spirit. But but what I'm saying is that there there, there are times... Where, where visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it can be seen. This happens, right? And we should pray for that to happen here at, the, our, at our church. For there to be revival. For there to be contrition over sin. Confession of sin. And a deep yearning and hungering for the Spirit of God to be at work. However, at the same time, there are oftentimes things built today as the work of the Holy Spirit, which is nothing more than the mere work of people trying to fabricate or manufacture or replicate the Spirit's work. You, you might want to jot down this insight. It's really, 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 really profound, church. The, the, the work of the Holy Spirit cannot be a work performed by men. The work of the Holy Spirit is only a work that can be done by the Holy Spirit. Sounds simple, right, and obvious. Yet there are many churches trying to do that very thing today. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't force the Holy Spirit's hand to work. He is free. He is not constrained. He is independent from us. He works as he wills. And so all of this is by way of introduction. Uh, don't worry, the body is not as long. Uh, but, uh, but my goal, my aim this morning is that by God's grace, this sermon will be clear, helpful, and it will encourage you to obey the command we have from God's word this morning. And that is to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, it's not something that's only attainable for the top-tier Christians who gain access to this otherworldly experience through a second baptism or something similar. Now, what God is teaching us 
through Paul this morning is that being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not a gift for the select few, but being filled with the Spirit, it's a command that is to be obeyed by all Christians everywhere. It's a command that is to be obeyed by you. And so if it is a command, then it's helpful to ask, what is the Spirit-filled life? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first, what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that you receive a greater portion of the Holy Spirit. Now, on the day that the Lord saved you, if you are a child of his, if you have repented of your sin, if you have trusted in the sole righteousness of Jesus Christ to represent you before God, In a a word picture, if you've taken off your tattered clothes of sin, and if you have put on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, if his righteousness covers you, then listen, on the day you turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You received all of him. You're not a portion of him. In in business today, there, there are some contracts that are structured such that a person gets paid for their services like 50% up front. And then the rest of the 50% is paid after the job is done. How many of you have either paid someone like that or have been paid like that before, right? 50% down, 50% at the end of the job. Well, I think that's unfortunately the way some people view the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. They get half of him at the day of salvation, but then they have to wait for this big moment in their life or after they've reached some state, some status of maturity before they get the other 50% of him. But what the Bible teaches, again, is that the Holy Spirit indwells you on the day of your salvation. You've already been given all of him. You've already been anointed. Don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 1 Verse 21 says this, and it is God who establishes you with Christ and who has anointed us and has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So again, on that day, when you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit, he now dwells within you. So the problem then isn't that we haven't received the entirety of the Holy Spirit. I think the problem, church, is that we haven't yet yet yielded the entirety of our lives to him. And so my definition of what it means to live the Spirit-filled life, my answer to the question how to be filled with the Holy Spirit is this. If you're writing notes, this is going to be the main point. Being filled with the Spirit means that you are constantly aware of his presence and power, continually dependent on his presence and power, and habitually yielding to his presence and his power in your life. Constantly aware of, continually dependent on, and habitually yielding to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. First, you're constantly aware of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This means that you live your days with the realization and the constant awareness that the Spirit of the living God, He is with you right now. And that He desires to work through you as well. 
Charles Spurgeon, he was a 19th century preacher. He said this. He said that the greatest deficiency in the Christian life lies in this point. Forgetfulness of the work of the Holy Spirit. Too too often we spend our days forgetful that he dwells and abides within us. And so if we were to remember just this basic truth alone, that the Holy Spirit, he's with you right now. Church, would that not affect many of the thoughts you think, the words you say, the things you view and do? And would that not affect the way you treat the people in your life? When you remember that the Holy Spirit, he desires not only to be with you, but to work through you. That he desires to use you to do spiritual good to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, your neighbors, your coworkers, and those he's also put right in front of your path. He desires to use you. Are you living with a constant awareness to that reality? So being filled with the Spirit, it means that you are living with a constant awareness of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within you. But secondly, it also means that you are continually dependent on his presence and power. So not only do you live with his awareness, but you desire and you depend upon him for everything throughout your days. To depend on the Holy Spirit means that you believe and live in light of this truth when Jesus said that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is what? Of no help at all. If you are living in dependence on the Holy Spirit, that means that you know that any good within you is the result of His work within you. Any progress in sanctification, any growth in the Christian life, any true conformity to the image of Jesus, this must come from his power at work within you and not your own. Do you want to know what are some of what what, what is, I think, the greatest threat or one of the greatest threats to the Christian life? Well, it isn't the policies in Washington, D.C. or anything external to you. No, the greatest threat you face in living a vibrant and spirit-filled life is yourself. Your own self-righteousness, your own self-confidence, and your own self-reliance. When you live like this, what I deem and what I term the self-sins, when you live in the self-sins, you put your faith to change your will, your ways in a renewed sense of willpower and implementing some new habits. And every time January 1st rolls around, you list out your new resolutions for the year and you say, it's going to be different this time. I'm going to garner up that willpower to make it happen. And listen, these are not bad things, right? It's good to grow in self-control. It's good to form new habits and it's good to reflect and commit to new ways in life. But listen, if you are living according to the flesh, you will reap according to the flesh. If you operate in your own strength, you will receive what only what your strength can produce. The only way to grow spiritually is by depending on the one, the only one who can give spiritual life to you. And maybe to apply it more specifically, the only way you can overcome that besetting sin in your life, it isn't by a renewed sense of willpower. It is only when you come to the end 
of your self-confidence and your self-reliance. And it is only when, when you realize that you can do nothing of spiritual effectiveness apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he must work within our hearts. Without him, we can do nothing of spiritual significance. And without him, we cannot overcome sin in life. Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, in other words, if you are living according to your own strength, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is by the Spirit that we kill the sin within us. Now, now listen, I doubt many, if any of you in this room, would be in disagreement with me at this point. But listen, it is entirely possible that we can believe something, yet that belief can stay dormant and be found hibernating within us such that it has no bearing, no difference, no impact on our daily lives. So I just want to ask you, church, does this truth that you are dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything, Does it drive you to your knees in prayer? It it did me this morning as I was preparing for this sermon. This sermon will have zero spiritual effectiveness unless the Spirit of God is at work right now. Maybe to illustrate this point, how, how how many of you have broken a bone before? I know, uh, mercifully, uh, I, I have been blessed in that I have only broken my uh, left pinky finger. But for a broken pinky, I had to wear a stinking cast for like six weeks. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing in the world? Thankfully, I was in third grade, so I didn't look like a goofball you know, as an adult. I would not have worn it as an adult, I tell you that much. But, uh, but I had to wear this full you know, cast for six weeks to, for a broken pinky. Uh, but but after, right, after a bone is broken... The body will start naturally healing the bone. It's one of God's amazing, amazingly beautiful designs of the body. However, there are times that if the two ends of the broken bone are not lined up properly, the bone can heal with a deformity that's called a malunion. The bones didn't unionize properly. And so in severe cases of malunion, what the surgeon will have to do is he will have to re-break the bone in order to then realign it properly. And so listen, church. There may be some of you this morning who need to be broken this morning of your own self-righteousness, your own self-confidence, and your own self-reliance. And I'm saying this as one who was broken by the Holy Spirit this morning of my own self-reliance. But listen, until you are broken over your sin, until you, are mourn, until you mourn the self-sins in your life, then you will have no true desire and you will have no true dependency on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But it is when the Holy Spirit, when the master heart surgeon, when he goes at work and he breaks you over your sin, He is then able to begin to realign and renew and revive his work within you. 
So I just have a simple question. Are, are you living dependent on the presence and power of the Spirit? My prayer has been for myself and for you, church, that God would break us from the deceiving and the destructive self-sins and that he may fill us to walk in true righteousness that is born from the Spirit, true confidence that comes from knowing and being aware of his presence and true reliance in his work, his power in our lives. The spirit-filled life is one that is constantly aware of and continually dependent on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, the spirit-filled life, it is one that is habitually yielding to the presence and power of the Spirit. To, To yield yourself over to the Holy Spirit means that you relinquish all control all self-sovereignty, and all self-authority of your lives. A life that is yielded is one that is molded to the heart of our Savior when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said these words. He prayed these words back to his Father. Not my will, right? But yours be done. So I just want to remind you, based on the truth of God's word, 1 Corinthians 6 says, You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And that Jesus, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit means that every morning you are surrendering your day to the control, to the influence, to the sway of the Holy Spirit. To obey him no matter where he might take you and whatever he might call you to do. And so another question, are you ready to release all control and sovereignty over your life to the Holy Spirit with no conditions so that you can be controlled and filled by him. And if you're honest, you would say the answer is no. Then, then I think the reality might be that you don't really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You just want the benefits that come from being filled by him. The truth remains, church, that God cannot fill what he does not have. Does he have all of you? Have you yielded yourself entirely to him. Now, to be sure, God, he's not looking for perfection, but what he is looking for is a heart that is fully devoted unto him. Saint Chronicles says this, for the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. So the spirit-filled life, it's one that's constantly aware of, continually dependent on, and habitually yielding to the Holy Spirit. What, what, what then is the fruit of a life filled with the Spirit? Let's look at verses 19 through 21. And for time's sake, I will summarize the, the four main points that Paul refers to. A life that is a, uh, the marks of a spirit-filled life. It's one of fellowship with one another. It is one of worship to God. It is one of thankfulness. And it is one of mutual submission to the body, to the church. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's less about a sensational experience that you have. And it is more about your sanctification progress. Experiences, they are good and we should desire them. But the mark of a spirit-filled life, it's less about experiences. And it's more about what is the fruit your life is bearing. So if we say we're living a spirit-filled life, yet the fruit of our spirit, it's not evident. The fruit of the spirit is not evident in our lives then it might be we are deceiving ourselves. And so I want to ask, is your life, is it marked by the works of the flesh or by the fruit of 
the Spirit. When you look backward and you reflect and you see the wake of your life, what, what, what do you see there? What, what, what would those closest around you see? Would they see the works of the flesh? Maybe works such as sexual immorality, impurity, jealousy, anger, bitterness, gossip, slander, envy, drunkenness, greed, covetousness, materialism, people-pleasing, and things like these? Is that what you would see? Is, is that the work and the fruit of your life? Or would you say, not perfect, not perfect, but it is evident that the fruit of the Spirit is in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness, humility, meekness, generosity, fellowship, worship, thankfulness, mutual submission, things like these. Which list of those adjectives would describe your life? I pray that your life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. But, but maybe you're in a season of life where it is not the case. Then it might be because of one of two things. Galatians 3, verse 3, Paul says this. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The, this past week... Uh, we, I was helping one of Emily's family members, and they got a flat, and so uh, went over and was helping to put the a new, the new tire on the vehicle. And, uh, and Isaiah, he was in tow with me. And if you uh, get as you get to know Isaiah, one thing he I think he's going to be our future mechanic in the family. He loves tools. He'll just go randomly. The, yesterday, in the remote controller in, in the little remote control car, he took the screwdriver, undid the batteries. And it's like, buddy, what are you doing? But he loves tools. And so when I was changing this tire, uh, Isaiah was with me on the floor jack. You know, he was with me and he wanted to do the floor jack. And he kept saying, me do it, me do it. I was like, all right, buddy. And, and therefore a little bit, he was able to lift the car, right? The first couple pumps, he was able to do it, right? But after a few lifts, the weight of the car was such that he could not lift it anymore on his own. I, I tried to help it, but... Our Mr. Independent, he said, no, me do it. And he kept struggling. He kept struggling, trying to lift the car. And then finally, I had to tell him, buddy, you can't do it. Daddy has to do it for you. I think there are some of you maybe in this room that when it comes to the Christian life, you're trying to do it in your own strength. And in pride, you're saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And my prayer has been this morning that the Holy Spirit right now is saying, child, you can't do it. Having begun by the Spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? The Christian life, it's not a one-time yielding to the influence and authority and power of the Holy Spirit. It is a daily, a daily act and some of you are spiritually tired and the reason might be because you're trying to jack up the proverbial car in your own strength you just can't do it you can't generate spiritual life from within yourself it must be the holy spirit's work within you another reason why the works of the flesh might be dominating your life is you maybe have never experienced the new birth. 
Maybe you are not yet a Christian. You may know many things about Christianity. You may know its doctrines, its ethics, and its practices. But you still don't yet know Christ. You aren't yet a new creation. You haven't been made alive. Ephesians would say you are still dead in your sins. And so if that would describe you, then listen, you should never expect to be filled with the Spirit and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit if, if he is not living within you. So if that is you, I want, to, I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. May today be the day of your salvation. May today be the day when you turn your life from living for yourself, from living in self-righteousness, self-confidence, self-reliance, and you turn to Jesus and you receive and you rest in his perfect righteousness for you. When you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. What, what is the gospel? The gospel, it is the good news that even though we have sinned and are, are deserving of God's punishment, Jesus came to this world to save us from our sins by dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. This is the gospel. And this is the good news that can change everything about your life. This is the good news whereby the Holy Spirit can come and live within you. So in conclusion, in John 5, it says that Jesus is walking through Jerusalem. And when he was walking through Jerusalem, he saw a blind man. He went up to him and he asked him this question. He said, do you want to be healed? Church, I think maybe Jesus is asking a similar question to us this morning. And that is this. Do you want to be filled? Do you want to live a spirit-filled life? A life where you are continually, constantly aware of, continually dependent on, and habitually yielding to the Holy Spirit, His presence and His power throughout your days. If that is you, I want to encourage you with everything within me, Pursue him. Give all of yourself to him that he may fill all of you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.